and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short, controlled bursts. My name is John Engel. I'm Joe Dater. I'm a cartoonist for The New Yorker magazine. And this is Minute 24, which begins with Ripley asking Bishop if he's got that straight. And it ends with Hicks coming to the conclusion that they are on a bug hunt. And uh, joining uh, us for the fourth day in a row? Yep, yep. Susan Kruglinski, welcome back. Hey. Okay, I want to mention this. Uh, this minute starts out with Frost, played by Rico Ross, saying, guess she don't like the cornbread either. He has this little quip that he makes. And that's the punchline that we mentioned that was coming. Yes. Right. Ripley had just banged a tray away from uh, Bishop. Bishop offered her some cornbread, and she she banged it. Very it's impolite. Quite a clamor. Very impolite. Yeah, there's clamor. And uh, Rico Ross. So it's uh, we get to see Rico Ross as Frost, and I'm a big fan, and you mentioned you're a big fan. He's, yeah, yeah. Very you're like much, a, very you're much like a big so. fan. Very much so. Oh, yes. Uh, I do want to mention Rico Ross because I looked him up on IMDb, and I was looking at some of his credits, and he it was interesting because he lived in the U.K. for, for a while. Uh, around the time this movie was filmed, he was living in the U.K. for about, I don't know, six or seven years. So he did a lot of British stuff. He was in... Uh, he was in a Doctor Who, even, hmm. and as we mentioned before, he was uh, he was up for a part in uh, in Full Metal Jacket. But the one credit that stood out for me was um, he's in Death Wish Three. Oh, yeah, the good Death Wish. That's <laughs> what we call that. Is it? Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's not. <laughs> it's a Golan Globus film, so that tells you pretty much everything you need to know. It's another fine production uh, from Golan Globus, the mark of quality. And his character is listed as the Cuban. (laughs) Now, I've never seen Death Wish 3. I'm going to go way out on a limb here and say, I'm going to guess at some point in the film, the Cuban gets his head blown off by Charles Bronson. I'm going to guess you're right. I have seen Death Wish 3, but I mercifully have forgotten it. I know it's pretty bad. All I remember really is that Jimmy Page did the score. I'm pretty sure. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. That's uh, notable. But yeah, otherwise, I certainly don't remember Rico Ross being in the movie. Yeah, I've never, I've never seen that one, uh, or or any of the Death Wish films. But I have an inkling of them, and although most of my knowledge of them comes from uh, Charles Bronson being parodied on The Simpsons, I think there was there was one uh, where they showed Death Wish twelve, and it was it was Charles Bronson saying, "I wish I was dead." <laughs> <laughs> Simpsons gets credit for that, not me. So any thoughts on this minute? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I for one, think it's a pretty good button on the scene. I, I, I think right now isn't the time to start getting too bleak. So we've just had a moment where our protagonist has discovered something of concern. There's an android on board the ship. We're not sure how we feel about it. Uh, it's not a good bit of news for her to get. But we're still should be I, – I think we're it's it's – Good idea to keep it light for the moment. So ending the scene with a little bit of comedy, I think it's a good touch. Later, it's going to get pretty bleak pretty fast. And and right now, yeah, ending with this little joke works. Plus, yeah, he has good reason to think that that's what her problem was. I mean, why? Why? Is he has no idea why she slapped that cornbread away. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's and kind you know, of they funny. feel pretty strongly that it's not very good. So I guess he he just figures she doesn't like it either. But I don't think Frost is an idiot. I don't think he he's looking over at the table and saying. Wow, her 
her cornbread must have been really stale. <laughs> I don't think that. I think he's no. seeing that clearly she's having a personal issue uh, with someone there, and he is uh, playing it down deliberately. Uh, he's he's not an idiot. Uh, he can see that, and it's it's a perfect line for his character because of all of them, he seems to be the most level-headed. Yeah. Well, you're also getting this two-shot with him. It's not just him in the shot. Right, We're getting this two-shot. And I think what we see is that that uh, Frost, he doesn't really care. I, I don't think he really gives a – yeah, I, I Hicks, was joking. Hicks I mean, I know looking he's looking over there meaning, meaningfully. But, yeah, Hicks cares. Like, Which, he's already yeah. – we've already had some eye contact between him and Ripley. Yeah. I think he is actually concerned with what's wrong with her, so – uh, that, I think this that shot is telling. We get the little joke, but we also get yeah. a character that's actually going to have a connection to Ripley as the movie goes on. It's actually it's a very nice bit of uh, of, of character building in this moment. I do want to say that uh, talk about Lance Henriksen some more before he goes before we cut to the next scene. I think he looks great as a mechanical man. He's just beautifully cast because of his angular features, and he yeah, just really works really well as a, as a robot. Well, that's why the reveal is kind of good that it's towards the beginning, because if you had to choose someone out of the entire film, if you had to guess, you know, you would you would. Whereas Ash, Ash, I mean, Ash was a pudgy older guy. Like, who would make an android like that? I mean, that was just (laughs) such a. It is an odd design for an android, isn't it? Such a shock. (laughs) Yeah. Unless it's an android that is meant to be. A covert android right right then you want to make them a little chubby a little you don't want yeah. to make it too obvious yeah that's that's absolutely true we've got a whole new line of robots here you're gonna love them they're cherubic perfect for hiding among crews yes they blend right in have an android they blend aboard. right in with people who are kind of out of shape and about five foot four <laughs> yeah so that he was perfect for that, that specific purpose yeah i was thinking about the uncanny valley like we saw in uh, Star Wars Rogue One with uh, the uh, digital uh, Grand Moff Tarkin that shows up in that. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, boy, in a, in a future film, a Bishop-type character, they should just use that technique because it was so jarring to see it passed off as a real human being in that film. But it would work perfectly if you used that technique to be an artificial person. Yeah. I thought it was pretty impressive. The, 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 how they, I, I thought that was pretty damn amazing what they did with Christopher Lee. I mean, that was that was impressive. That wasn't Christopher Lee. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Uh, Peter Cushing. Peter I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Peter Cushing. No, that's what they did. They, they had the corpse of Christopher Lee, and they digitally overlaid Peter Cushing's <laughs> face over it, strangely, for no reason other than they could. Yeah, if I'm going to give my two cents on, on the Tarkin bit, I would say that I thought he was great until he talked. Yeah, it, I agree. Everything was really impressive until that mouth started moving, and then, and then it, it was the uncanny valley. I, I still thought I thought it was pretty great. I thought it was pretty yeah. amazing. I would like I would like to see that instead of getting uh, Fastbender or no, get Fastbender, but then don't have it be Fastbender. Have it be Fastbender's likeness. I think <laughs> that would be very interesting because if you if you tried to get it as good as you could get it, which is what they tried to do in Rogue One, it would still not be perfect, and it would still give it away that this was not a human being. Yeah, you might as well have a, right. a dual purpose for it. You have you're reusing the image of an old actor, familiar actor like Lance Henriksen. If you were to do that, but it makes perfect sense why it's not quite real. Yeah, uh, it within the text of the film. So yeah, that would be a better use of it. Well, but re- they're not gonna they're not gonna listen to us on that. They're gonna just keep trying to. They're just keep <laughs> make us believe. passing it off as a person. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, in Alien vs. Predator, um, he actually, his voice... Oh, now, of course, I saw the bootleg pirate version on YouTube, so it was sped up. But I'm pretty <laughs> sure still, even with that, uh, that it, he changed his voice up a little bit. He made it a little rougher. Um, he has a very smooth voice in Aliens, and he roughed it up a little bit, um, so a little more human-sounding. Uh, but you also, you said you, AVP. you rewatched Alien 3. Yes, I did. Just like a couple of days ago. Yeah. It was yesterday. Uh, yeah, a couple of days ago. Okay. And now they had two things going on in that one because they had uh, Lance Henriksen come back as the person who was the model for Bishop, the, the human being who was the model for Bishop, right? Right. But also they had Bishop come back and it was a physical puppet. No, that was but, – but that's actually – well, the, the, the human was a fake human. I mean that was also an – I think we were supposed to realize that that was also an Oh, android. really? Okay. I didn't they were faking her out. But um, yeah, the um, torn in half, half a body, completely beautifully messed up. Uh, that was a, that was a nice, again, visually great movie. I don't like the movie, but visually, how um, he looked completely messed up with his eyes popping out. It was it was gorgeous. I think it's been. I feel like it's been too long since we mentioned cornbread. It ha yeah. I feel like I want to go back I, and talk about cornbread I some more. It. Have you no. ever seen the movie Cornbread Earl and Me? No, but I sound like it sounds Larry like I would Fishburne. really like a third of that movie. <laughs> well, me is Larry Fishburne, so maybe you would like at least oh, okay. two thirds of it. He's very good in his very young role. But anyway, that was just the, with Sir know, Lawrence Olivier as of... Cornbread. <laughs> yeah, that might have been. I can't remember. It's been a while. Since, Lawrence since Olivier is electrifying as Cornbread. The reviews were great for his role. <laughs> His uh, tour de force playing a piece of cornbread. I've, right, so clearly, I've never seen that film, so I because I, I assume there's talking cornbread in it. No, I do, I, but I do want to mention. I'm going to leave you with that assumption because that's good. Probably uh, that would be a very interesting movie, I would think. I I do want to mention that uh, I can't let this go by before it cuts away. Is that this is a scene where people in a movie are eating, and. I have a fetish for scenes in movies where people are eating. I am just, I'm always interested in what they're eating. I think about the food they must have had ready on the set uh, that they were having people eat, and then they had to have more ready for the next take. And I always, almost always, when someone in a movie is eating something, I want some. I want How do some you feel? too about scenes where people have not eaten in a long time and then are eating. And they're scarfing food because I am obsessed with those scenes. I hate those scenes. <laughs> I can't stand that when people are just like the the obligatory, just like oh, oh scarfing food scenes. Oh, anyway. I don't, oh yeah, I'll, yeah. If you're obsessed with food scenes, I would think you'd have some strong feelings about those as well. I just any just about any eating in a film. I just it it. I don't know. It dings my a thing in my brain that makes me much more interested in that. Like, in, and just about any film, like, you know, they're sitting around eating pasta in The Godfather. I need, I like, I have to have some pasta. It's just I need to join them in whatever they're eating. I was just going to ask you how you felt about The Sopranos. Uh, the Sopranos has so much eating in it. Oh yeah, yeah. It's hard for me to. It's hard for me to watch. That's because funny, because he's such a he uh, he was such a specific type of eater too. Uh, Gandolfini was that it was always it was always very noticeable when he was eating. Yeah, so this this scene, weirdly as it is, makes me want cornbread 
But also, I'm looking at what else what else they have on their plates. It looks like they have they're having breakfast. It looks like there's like some hash browns. I assume they're having eggs there too. Uh, there's some orange juice on the table, and there's coffee. There's definitely coffee. Well, the, 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 actually, the juice on the table looks sort of pea-ish, urine-ish. Um, it's not quite, it's not quite yeah. the orange that orange juice should be. And you never really it's, see the other food. You, it's probably instant. It's probably like tang or tang. something. Yeah, yeah I was going to say tang. Yeah. But well, not Arcturian tang. Not the best choice of color. <laughs> <laughs> Yours was grapefruit. Yeah, it don't matter, baby. <laughs> Don't matter when it's Arcturian. <laughs> anyway, all right. I think we should move on now to the the docking bay. I guess we could call this. Right. Yeah. There's a cut to Huge. this uh, long shot, long shot yeah. uh, where it pans across, and uh, supposedly it's a miniature, although it looks a lot like a matte painting to me. But the oh, inside, I always thought it was a matte hanger, painting. Yeah. It's not. It's I, I on the commentary. Cameron says it's a miniature. Wow. Yeah, and that uh, it transitions in a very very hard to pull off way because there's no there's not like a pole in front that they could make it an easy join there or an easy cut it just sort of blends they just blend the miniature plate with the live action full size plate and it kind of works for in 1986 it's about as good as they could do i suppose you couldn't get away with that in a movie today well, you wouldn't need to cuz technology would be there to do it so much more convincingly um but right. i mean it's a it's a lovely shot if you like good special effects craftsmanship, not so much if you like things to look absolutely real. Well, I think it really helps the transition from the miniature to the real set to have those two Marines in Kung Fu stances yeah. um, facing off against each other. So that, t- that takes your eye down. And I'm not I'm kidding and I'm not kidding at the exact same time. Yeah, I think you're like, right. It's it's a little goofy, but it actually draws your eye to it as opposed to the seam. Yeah. Where uh, of the in the transition, so they're having a little bit of action and a little bit of something happening down there definitely helps the transition. I think. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, it works. It works. It works just fine. But it's also it's. I mean, I'm. If it's a miniature, it must have been one of those miniatures that barely qualifies as miniature. <laughs> In that, it probably took up an entire room. Right. It was probably enormous. Yeah, what, miniature is an overused term when it comes to movie props. The, they always refer to the Enterprise as a miniature. I guess it was something like 18 feet long or something. So, uh, yeah, that you're right. They'll say miniature, but the idea is not a like dollhouse-sized yeah. you know, things. It's, it's actually a big – just model is really yeah. what they should I mean, say. Technically, it's smaller than one-to-one which makes it right. technically a miniature. Um, but I would love to have seen that because it must have been beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. Peter Jackson had a phrase that he used on his films called a bigature, a bigature. Yeah. Because it would be a you know a miniature that's 20 feet tall. But it's a miniature yeah, looked, of a mountain. So. Yeah, before he went CG crazy, he definitely had a lot of those. Like Heavenly Creatures has those shots with the cameras floating through. What are clearly miniature sets, but are supposed to be the real locations? But it's beautiful. Yeah, Heavenly he was really good at that. What are people eating in that movie? Really I want to know. In Heavenly Creatures, yeah. I don't recall much eating. I think there's it's cookies. Been a long there's time since there's I've definitely seen it, cookies though. in that film. Right before the the. Can I make a lesbian joke? The matricide. Here? But please do. Oh, please do. <laughs> well, no. Wait. You you want to make a joke about lesbians, or you want to make the kind of joke a lesbian would make? Uh, some kind of eating, eating. I'm never mind. <laughs> God, I love that movie. Love Heavenly it, Creatures. Oh. Thank you. 
ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, you know what? That dings my other obsession in movies beyond people eating things, which is my other obsession is movies in which an actor portrays Orson Welles. Okay, so you got your Ed Wood. Ed Wood, that would be one. Yep. There's uh, there's Heavenly Creatures. There's uh, the film uh, Cradle Will Rock, the, t- the Tim Robbins yes. film. There's uh, the recent uh, Richard Linklater film with Zac Efron, uh, Orson Welles and Me, it's called. Uh, there's, a, there's a TV movie about the making of Citizen Kane where he's played by, God, now I'm blanking on his name, Naomi Watts' husband. Liev Schreiber. Liev Schreiber. And for a guy who's a connoisseur of uh, actor portrayals of Orson Welles, that one left me very unsatisfied. What about that guy at the end of the Muppet movie? When they get to the, they finally get to Hollywood at the end of the Muppet movie. That guy was good because he, you could see he, he, he went method with it. He gained yeah. 400 pounds for the role. <laughs> right. I don't know who that guy was, but he was fantastic. I it know he, a... that, that actor did a lot of commercials in the 70s. That's what I mostly know him from. Yeah, he did those wine commercials and he stuff. Did, yeah, he did a yeah. pretty good uh, Orson Welles impersonation. Yeah. By the way, can I do an impersonation? I am a, a, listeners to your show will maybe know me as a frequent guest on the Star Wars Minute podcast. Yes, of course. Uh, and uh, when I'm on that show, I, I often do a lot of voices. Uh, I did my uh, my Christopher Lee voice uh, recently, but I've been working on an, an impression of the alien. Okay. So I want to do that because you know the alien makes a sound. So here's my impression of the alien. You ready? Yes. Yes. Hello, good evening. I am the alien. How do you do? I'm, Perfect, okay, man. No, I'm, I'm kidding. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm seriously... I am actually working on an impression of the alien queen. Because uh, she makes a sound in the film. And I looked up... I, was, I tried to look up what the sound of the queen was made from or how they got that sound effect. I couldn't really get that information about it. Because um, there's not like a Ben Burt of the Alien franchise who's like a wizard of these things. So that I couldn't quite tell who was in charge of the sound design on that or anything. But she definitely, when you see her later in the film, she makes a sound, a kind of a high-pitched sound. So I have been seriously working on recreating the sound of the Alien Queen. So I am going to do that now. And so, you ready? Here yes. goes. Hello, I am the Alien Queen. Welcome to my alien planet. Hello. Wow. That's really good, man. Yeah, I know. I mean, you I could know. use a little bit of tweaking here, but not much. It's pretty uh, pretty spot on. Well, probably when they do it in the movie, they do a lot of like processing on it, so it sounds a little bit different. Sure. So I think I, if you ask my opinion, I think I nailed it right there. All right. Uh, now, uh, in this minute, the uh, Marines are being briefed. Did we mention the Marines are being briefed in this minute? We haven't gotten that far yet. Okay. Actually. We've panned. But yes, We've now panned. They're going to be briefed. Gorman, so Gorman, you know, Apone takes the lead at first. But Gorman, what, what is this business where he he's introduced or it's passed? Apone passes the you know, mic to him, mm-hmm. so to speak, and he's turned around and he doesn't – he does a turnaround introduction of himself, like some sort of reveal. It's really weird. I think the it's actor, really kind of pompous. Well, the actor who plays Gorman is doing some interesting stuff there. And the more I watch Gorman's scenes, the more I find myself interested in him as a character, actually, because he's, uh, unlike a lot of the characters in this who I've said are very two-dimensional, uh, he's not. He has an arc. 
And there's a lot of nuance in what Gorman is, is doing there. And in this scene, you can see he's rehearsed. You know, he's. I think that, that his little move there is rehearsed, and he's trying to uh, have some uh, gravitas before these these Marines. So when he gets uh, Hudson and Hicks confused, because uh, Hudson says, sir, and he says, was it, was it, what is it, Hicks? And uh, Paxton says, Hudson, sir, he's Hicks. Gorman's reaction to that is is just kind of silent embarrassment, like he's just like pursing his lip a little bit, and then he doesn't acknowledge that the mistake, he just says, all right, what's the question? He just right. moves on, and you can see in him this sort of combination of he's, he's embarrassed, he's trying not to show he's embarrassed, he's already feeling in over his head a little bit, even though all he's doing is the briefing. It's great acting. Nothing is happening. It's really it is. good acting. And he it, nails and it. It makes him a way more interesting character than I think he has any right to be. Yeah, I think there's some good writing in here, too. You know, it's pretty obvious to have him forget their names mm-hmm. or to, to flip their names. That's kind of obvious. And, and you're right. He plays it real, and it works. But then his next, the next time he refers to anyone, he refers to them as you people. So it's like he's kind of that kind of person, you know, that screws up but and gets embarrassed. But his response to it is to be more dismissive or to be a little bit more of a jerk, uh, sort of just to make him to bring himself back up. And I think that's that's not only is that good writing the you people part, unless he improvised it, but it, he plays this really well. I like I, I like how Gorman is played. I don't like Gorman at all, but that's the intention of yeah. this whole scene. Mm-hmm. Right. We got the, oh, he's too good to eat with us grunts, so we got that set up. And then we see that he does think he's too good for these grunts. And also he's in over his head, like also you said. terrified and terrified. And terrified. Yeah. yeah. He, but he, he also has an arc. Um, I was noticing this, that Gorman only really has three major scenes in this film. There's this part where he's introduced as this, as this, uh, this prick. Uh, then there's uh, the, uh, the scene of the, total massacre where he's completely uh, you know outclassed by Ripley and he has no idea what he's doing and everybody's dying sorry to spoil that and then he's injured terribly and he's sort of uh, out cold for a while and then his other sort of major moment in the film is with Vasquez when he's when he pushes the button and, and sacrifices his own life makes the ultimate sacrifice so he as a character he only has three sort of major scenes but you know a story is three acts, so you only really need three scenes to tell a character's arc, and he has that. His character goes through an entire arc where he goes through this this redemption, uh, and it's it's really it's more and more interesting to me the more I watch the movie uh, to watch Gorman. Um, he has an arc. Uh, Ripley has an arc, uh, arguably. I think um, Burke and Bishop don't really have arcs. They don't need them because Burke is a massive asshole and Bishop is a robot. Hudson, Drake, Apone, Vasquez, they're all pretty much two-dimensional, so there's no arc there. And, of course, Casey doesn't have an arc because she's just a piece of plastic. (laughs) I think that Hudson has a little bit of an arc, actually. Well, he gets a great moment later in the film. He gets to sort of be the macho swagger a guy that he fancies himself as uh, to an extent. So, yeah. Well, he'll, well, actually, I want to talk about Hudson, and I want to talk about his what happens with him, because the next thing that happens in this minute is that he asks his question, and his question is, 
uh, is this going to be a stand-up fight, sir, or another bug hunt? Right. Now, bug hunt was actually a real term during the Vietnam era, which this, you know, again, Cameron wanted. Is that true? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he uh, at least that's what the internet told me. <laughs> well, it must be true. Was uh, it referring to, like, tunneling? The tunneling? Uh, no, it was referring to doing a job where you wouldn't be in combat, um, where you'd it'd be non, non-combative. So it was sort of an easy, you know, a, a, a non-stress job. Uh, but here, of course, when you use bug hunt, you can't not think of the face hugger. I mean, you know, it's 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 that's what leaps into well, your the mind. The face hugger is what really happens. I mean, when when he says, "Is this going to be another bug hunt?" I always wondered, like for thirty years of watching this film, well, what do they mean? Have they seen these creatures before? What are the bugs that they've hunted previously? I've always wondered about that. They've hunted so many bugs that they've got a bug hunt decal on the side yeah. of their ship. They've got Stomp, a lot of bug, bug stomping, right? Stomping bugs. Yeah. And by the way, I mean, Hudson, ever, what's wrong with a bug hunt? Go on a bug hunt. It's easy. You get paid. Do it. Yeah. Ever since you know, ever since uh, uh, Starship Troopers, I've always just kind of pictured them being those those people, like yeah. going yeah. to a planet and some sort of planet inhabited by bugs. But and if that's the case, hunting them. But if that's the case, why is Hudson so dissatisfied with the danger level of that? Because those things were horrifying. Well, maybe they aren't that horrifying. Like maybe the ones that yeah. he's talking about are just a simple, you know. Maybe they go to when they do these so-called shake and bake colonies. Maybe these marines go ahead of time and clear out indigenous life if they have right, to, or right. whatever right. it may be. And you know, they just being typical sort of speciesist marine types, military types. They just call them all bugs, you know, and and they just wipe them out. But also, and maybe they're really easy to wipe out for the most part, and that's part of the hubris behind. How they approach this particular bug hunt? They they maybe they think it's going to be a lot easier than it obviously is going to be. But Hudson's also full of it because he's the chicken guy in this movie. I mean, he is um, Victoria Veronica Cartwright. Uh, what was her name from the first Alien? I'm Lambert. Lambert. He's La- he's kind of Lambert. You know the totally. the uh, he and that's really re- incredibly yeah. refreshing for a male to have that role. That's one of the great things about these alien movies is the reverse roles all the time. Well, is he actually in tears at some point in the film? He's pretty. I mean, I mean, even just the scene we did just yesterday or, or the day before uh, yesterday, oh, yeah. he was freaking out. I mean, he was completely freaking out over this. You know, like a, sure. an android who you know your chances of getting nicked weren't that high. I yeah. mean, it was pretty chicken of him. To... I would say he was screaming like a little girl, except that later <laughs> we'll meet a little girl and she doesn't scream anywhere near like exactly, him. exactly, exactly. There you go. So yeah, I was going to bring up too this use of the word uh, the uh, the introduction of the word xenomorph. Uh, well, we before, get here. before we say that, I want to I want to uh, oh. make the point I wanted to make about the the bug hunt, which is Hudson oh, says, "Is this going to be another bug hunt?" And obviously, he would prefer there not to be a bug hunt. But arguably, his best moment in the movie, his most heroic moment in the movie, comes when he saves Newt's life and kills two face huggers, which are basically big bugs crawling around on the floor, and. I think that was interesting that there he is hunting bugs and saving lives. And actually, bug hunting, maybe, you know, it's kind of a good thing to do. <laughs> you helped quite a bit there, Hudson, by killing those bugs. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's just po- posturing, right? He's trying to, for all the course. other fellows around, he's trying to sound big and tough. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a stand up fight. Like, I don't know who that would be against. I mean, are, they, are there other types of. 
you know, enemies to fight that are more human-like? Do they, uh, the Arcturians, are they hoping to, like, return there and perhaps take on a few of them? I don't know what he's talking about, but he's just posturing. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And this this whole idea of like being dissatisfied with the danger level that you're about to go into is very unprofessional, I think. Anyone who's actually probably gone into dangerous situations knows you hope for a less dangerous situation, not a more dangerous situation. But yeah, xenomorph is introduced as a word here. Yes. And I, I had completely forgotten that that word is used. Yes, it's the first time. Yeah, I thought it had only time. come up later on amongst like, fans of the film well that's the that's what i was going to get at was you know last season when we were talking about alien every once in a while i would slip into this using this word talking about the alien even though it hadn't been introduced that way at all at that point but it's become the fan term for the alien like mm -hmm. everything's right. a different kind of xenomorph they even have different prefixes for the xenomorph, you know, I, I can't think of any of them. I'm not really that interested in that much of the expanded universe of Alien. But um, Mitch pointed something out, you know, that it's become this popular uh, term for the Alien. But Mitch was kind of surprised to find that out. He didn't really realize that. And he was pointing out that he thought that in this scene, the function of the word was to just show how much of a pompous ass Gorman was. That he's using this ridiculous word. Right. To refer to the alien, and, and that was the purpose of it. Yeah. yeah, they're calling him bugs, and he's using this sort of pretentious, scientific-sounding right. name, and therefore it's kind of weird that people would take that and run with it when it's coming from this particular character that you're not really even supposed to like. I guess yeah, because he's right out of the academy. You know, he he he's just graduated, and his suit is uh, perfectly clean, and he has this perfect crew cut. Yeah, and they're all sort of ragged and uh, covered in their own little bling that they've put on their uniforms. Uh, so yeah, that's an interesting thing that I never no I never noticed that before. That was a yeah, that was a way of uh, uh, showing the corn cob, sort of the proverbial corn cob that exists uh, up his ass. But it's also a beautifully constructed word, and that's why it's stuck. I think because you know, Zeno, you know, ancient Greek for foreigner, stranger, foreign place, you know, and then morph. Yeah shape it's a it's a nice word like it's a it's a that was again very good writing yeah, yeah. i am not against using the word as a matter of fact it makes it a lot easier because alien is really really vague you know and if you keep just referring to the alien nowadays with how many what seven movies now that have had these these creatures in them it's kind of hard to be that vague anymore you kind of have to talk about it in more specific terms so i'm not against the word it is just funny that that's the particular in the the context of how he's using it here that fans grabbed onto it, but I'm not even sure. You know, this will this will show how I'm not the biggest geek as far as this the, ex, the extended universe is. I'm not sure how many times people use the word in the rest of the series of movies, whether they use it at all. But it would be interesting if this was the Got only it, time. Right. I do want to go back to talking about what the characters are wearing, which is that uh, because you know. Uh, Gorman is so sort of spit and polish, and the rest of them are kind of kind of raggedy. Uh, as I, I saw that Cameron actually encouraged the actors to come up with their own enhancements to their uniforms and their their own little uh, little uh, flair uh, that they put on there. And he mentioned that uh, Alien, the previous film, was maybe the first time in science fiction that everybody wasn't wearing identical silver jumpsuits. 
or that people just dressed in what looked like normal clothes. Right. And yeah. I also want to mention Burke, who is wearing this douchey vest. Yeah, he's straight he is, out of Eddie Bauer. He's right? the perfect 80s weasel. Yeah. It, the vest, which goes perfect with his weasel hair. And it, yeah, his weasel – is he wearing a flannel shirt under Plaid, there? It's, it's like, like a It's like he went to the mall and got camping clothes. Exactly. You know, like one of those the day before leaving. That. Yeah. And he's breaking them in right yeah. now. Right. Is there anything else you have to say? Uh, are we at the end of that scene? That's that's the last. Uh, no. Well, the la- the very the very very final thing is uh, the conclusion that yeah, it is a bug hunt. And Hicks is the guy that would know, right? When you hear Hicks, like even with just the brief moments we've gotten with Hicks uh, leading up to this scene, when he says it, you know that it's probably right. He seems already more competent than anybody else, outside of maybe Vasquez and and her. Yeah. You know her brand of competency, but this is the guy that's level-headed. Yeah, he knows what's going on. So when he says it, and he's also quiet. So you know when he says something, he's saying something that he, you know, he knows what he's talking about. So yep, it's a bug hunt, and that's the yeah, that's the end of the minute. All right. So let's move on to minute twenty-five. Uh, Susan, you want to remind everyone where they can find you online? Uh, sure. I'm on Twitter as Susan S U Z A N Tekla Kruglenska. And um, hopefully going, I will be launching when this uh, episode comes out a, uh, a music on 70s, uh, 70s music, a sort of spinoff of the podcast that Joe has been doing, Songs You're Sick Of. I'll be doing a show called um, something like uh, 70s, the 70s Songs Songbook Super Show. So please uh, do look out for my podcast. Uh, oh, see, if I thought if you were going to spin yourself off from my show, your spinoff would just be called Susan with an exclamation mark. <laughs> I'm going to spin myself off like Susan's place. Ash spinning. Yes. (laughs) Spinning ash. Susan Bunker's place. Yeah. No. (laughs) No, I decided to. Yeah. But yeah, thank you for having me on. Thank you for inviting me. And it was a pleasure. Uh, I am Joe Dater, and you can find me uh, by uh, Googling Joe Dater, and you'll find so many, so many things about me. But don't go past the second page, please. And you can find our show, Alien Minute, at AlienMinute.com. You can also find us on Instagram at Alien Minute Podcast, on Twitter at Alien Minute Pod, over on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, any of the podcatchers that you like to use. And, uh, you know, just drop a couple of bucks in the t- virtual tip jar if you feel so inclined. It would really help us out with expenses. That is it for Minute 24. Let's uh, be back tomorrow for Minute 25.